right, thank you, Dan. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Man, what, a, what an interesting week. I, I don't know, um, being an Aggie fan, I've, I've been paying attention to college baseball and kind of enjoy it. And, and uh, I don't know if you noticed this week, but uh, Thursday night or late Thursday afternoon, a, a freshman pitcher for Vanderbilt was swimming in the lake, not too far from his hometown, and, and 19 years old, lost his life. One of the most promising pitchers in college baseball and went out for a swim and never came back. And, you know, you can't help but think, man, why does stuff like that happen? Why do people go through difficulty, hardship, um, even in the spiritual world, we wonder why, why do things happen the way they do? Uh, I, I read this week, uh, General, three-star General Boykin had been invited to a prayer breakfast uh, at, at uh, I think it was Fort Riley, one of the places in Kansas. And at the very last minute, they canceled the prayer breakfast uh, because uh, a, a group of militant atheists, really uh, Mikey Wiseman and his crowd, uh, protested, said he was Anna Gay an anti-Muslim because of his evangelical beliefs. And, and so they just canceled the event. Now, they had it scheduled for two months and, and, or so, and they said at the last minute, well, we had a scheduling conflict. Well, and so you wonder, why does stuff like that happen to believers? Why do we go through difficulty? You may have noticed uh, an article this morning uh, on one of the news websites. Uh, seven-year-old first grader in California his mother would write him a note with Bible verses, and he would open and read them at lunch. And, and sometimes he would share them with his kids and, or with, his, with the kids around him. And, and they began to ask for copies. And so she would send copies, and he would pass them out, and they would talk about them. And then the teacher called the mom and said, listen, you can't do that. He can't do it. You know. and, and before they know it, they said, you can't even, you can't even talk about that stuff at school. And they said, hey, if you want to pass out those verses, you, you got to do it on the sidewalk after school. And so him and his dad began to do that. And, and, and then they actually had a sheriff's deputy come to their house and say, hey, you, you need to stop doing that. Now, why does stuff like that happen to believers? Why do we struggle with difficulties? We, some of us have been praying for a young lady uh, uh, over on the East Coast, some friends of a family in our church, 20 years old, had a, had a tumor at the, uh, on her brain stem. I mean, think about this, 20 years old at the prime of life, a uh, godly young lady, pastor's daughter, serves the Lord. Why does, why does that kind of stuff, why does that kind of difficulty uh, happen? Some of you here this morning, you're, you, what you're going through it may not be near as severe as some of the things I've talked about. But, but, but how is it that, that you're trying to serve the Lord? You, you try to honor Him with your life. And, and maybe you get passed over for the promotion that you've been hoping for or, or praying for. Uh, somehow or another, it just seems like you get the shaft. You get the, you get the bad deal. Or maybe you get stuck socially on the outside looking in and you're the one that gets left out and, and people know you and you know people and they don't include you and, and, and for whatever reason, you're allowed to hurt and we know that God is sovereign and so, so we've got to kind of wrap our minds around this question. Why does a sovereign loving God allow 
people, particularly his people, to hurt? Why does he allow us to struggle? Why, why does he allow us to go through hardship and difficulty? And that's a fair question. That's a, it's kind of a challenging question. Uh, and the thing of it is, many of us have a story. Maybe it's tragedy, maybe it's difficulty, maybe it's just hardship, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's just disappointment with God. But what can happen is sometimes we get tempted to think, man, why, why can't I just be happy? I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy? I mean, clearly there are times when God gives us happiness. And we're filled with, with great joy and, and great happiness. But the reality is God is much more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. God's more interested in our holiness than he is in our happiness. In fact, God is preparing us in this life for the next life. I mean, think about that. God is interested in preparing you and me in this life for the next life. And because he is part of life or much of life, we're in training. And, and so what the scripture teaches is that there, the passage we're going to look at this morning, there are kind of two prevailing themes that, that when you put them together, give us a picture of how God wants to train us. Now, neither one of these pictures is especially endearing. Uh, none of us really want to sign up so much for, for either one of them. But when you sign up to be a Christian, you're really signing up for what the writer of Hebrews is about to tell us. So as we, as we read through this, I want you to see if you can pick out these two themes. There's two prevailing themes. One of them's really obvious. Uh, even I and Aggie can figure that one out. But I want you to, I want you to look for both of them. Join me. We're going to begin reading verse 3. The writer says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not re yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Shall we pray together? Father, in these next few minutes, I pray that you would uh, just... Give us clarity of mind that as we look at what's going on in our life, that what you're, that you're about shaping us and you're about molding us and you're about training us into the godly men, to the godly women, to the godly young people, to the godly children 
that you want us to be. You're preparing us in this life for the next one. And so with that as a backdrop, God, would you open your word and open our hearts that we might learn and that we might grow and that we might become everything uh, that you've called us to be. And I pray, Father, that you speak with clearly, with, with clarity and boldness into our life this morning. And we'll give Jesus the glory for us in his name. I pray. Amen. Well, I, I doubt you had any trouble picking out the one obvious theme in our text, and that is the, the theme of discipline. In fact, uh, the word discipline or its derivative is, is, not, is uh, mentioned nine times in that passage of Scripture. But the second one may not be quite as obvious, uh, but the second one is, is what I will call the term or use the term endurance. Endurance. The Bible's clear that God disciplines those he loves, and we've read about But the Bible's also clear that the writer of Hebrews expected his people that he was writing to to endure. God expects believers to endure. If you look back to chapter 10, listen to verse 32, where the writer says, But recall the former days, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. And then look down in verse 36 of chapter 10. For you have need of endurance. Now listen to this. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. God is teaching and training us in this life, preparing us in this life for the next life. And he uses endurance and discipline together to mold and shape and train us into the men and women and boys and girls that he wants us to be. And so clearly the scripture talks about how, how God wants us to endure and how God expects us to endure. We spent a great deal of time last week uh, talking about how we're to run the race and that God's called us uh, to finish well and how God has called us to endure and how God has called us to, to really last out in terms of of the faith. And so the Christian life is to be an enduring life. We even compared it to the idea of being a marathoner. Now many of us, uh, most of us are not marathoners, but at least we can identify with the idea that if you're going to run a marathon, you, you've got to, you got to endure, man. You, we talked about how you got to, sometimes you just got to suck it up. Sometimes you just got to tough it out. Sometimes you just got to go on when you feel like, hey, I can't go on anymore. You've just got to go on. That's what you do in the marathon, and that's what God's called us to do in the Christian life. Now, what we didn't get to last week is that you can't do that by yourself. Now, you might tough it out in a, in a foot race, but you can't tough it out walking with Jesus on your own. The writer says, uh, back up in verse 2, and we again, we didn't get into this, Last week, when he says run with endurance, he says looking to Jesus, the author and finisher or the author and perfect, per, perfecter of our faith. Now, why would he say that? Because even though we have a responsibility to run with endurance, even though we have the responsibility to finish well, even though we have the responsibility to be faithful, in and of ourselves, we don't have the capability. And so what the writer is saying is, is you need to look unto Jesus. I mean, years ago, I, I think this, I think I first started praying this prayer. Uh, I was a youth pastor and our, our pastor left and I, you know, I, I didn't become the interim, but I become the Wednesday night guy. 
And, and you know, and I, I mean, I was a youth pastor. I didn't know how to talk to, to the whole church. And, and I remember sometimes going, going, going home on Wednesday afternoon and just, just kind of laying out on the floor and just saying, said, God, I know I'm responsible to do this, but God, I'm not capable of doing this on my own. And if you're going, listen, if you're going to finish well, and if you're going to walk with Jesus, and if we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we're responsible, but we're not capable. That's why the writer says in verse 3, Consider him who endured such hostility so that you too might not grow weary and lose Heart. And so, so we're to look, so if we're going to endure, we got to look to Jesus. Well, if we're going to endure, we got to understand discipline. Because a lot of times God uses, in fact, verse 8 says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. The NIV says you must endure hardship as discipline. And so they're connected. Now, we may not, we may not often think about God's discipline, but, but we, most of us have a, some sense of understanding about discipline, either from our parenting of our kids or maybe from the way we were parented when we were kids. But, but we've got some level of understanding. And, and let me just review a couple things about discipline just, just to give us a backdrop before we look exactly at what the writer says. Uh, just a couple thoughts. First of all, uh, a lot of times we think of discipline as punishment. And, 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 I, and that's fair to a point. But I want you to think about godly discipline. It's punishment in terms of we want to correct wrong behavior. As a parent, we should, when we punish, it should be to correct wrong behavior. But it should only be to correct wrong behavior. Listen, disciplined, disciplined punishment can never have vengeance at its heart. A parent should never, ever discipline out of anger and out of vengeance. In fact, if you're a boss, you should never, ever discipline out of anger or vengeance. Because, see, if you're a coach, you should never do that. Now, now, what do coaches do? When a, when a player breaks the rules, what, the, what does a coach do? They discipline them. They give them punishment, but they don't punish them for punishment's sake. They punish them in the hopes of correcting their behavior. That doesn't always work. I mean, uh, Johnny Manziel's a great example of that. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of it, but it hadn't worked yet. But the idea is that, that you, you punish for correction because you want to change the behavior. And so we understand discipline that way. But, but understand that, that God, God would never, God may discipline you and me. God may discipline us when we sin. In fact, if we do sin, and we belong to him, he will discipline us, but never out of vengeance. God's never mad at you and me and go, I'm going to teach him a lesson. No, when God punishes us, it is to correct us. A second thought about discipline is not only is it for punishment, but also it's for prevention or maybe we might use the word protection. You know how as a parent, we will... We will discipline or we will not allow something to come into the lives of our kids or our grandkids, uh, not because we're mean, but because we want to protect them or we want to prevent them from, from going through some things that, that, that we don't want them to go through. Uh, 
yesterday, uh, Elise and I spent a few minutes on uh, on the website Unplugged, reviewing movies. Our daughter got invited with a friend of hers to sort of kind of deal. Hey, let's go watch this movie. And so uh, we got to looking at the movie and got to reading the reviews and and, and some of the comparisons, man, and the, the language was just, man, just unacceptable. And the innuendo was was kind of unacceptable, and it was compared to a movie from a few years ago. It was kind of unacceptable. And, and the, te- you know, the, the tendency sometimes is, is when you say no, when you say no, you know, it, it might result in, in, in frustration and hardship. Now, in our case, we, we were fortunate enough it didn't, but we said no, but it didn't. But, but sometimes, God, sometimes God says no to you and me. And if we're not careful, we can get frustrated with God when God says no. But, but a lot of times God says no because he wants to prevent you from getting into something. Uh, sometimes God says no because he wants to protect you from something. You may have been praying about the, uh, you know, this new job. Or you may have been praying about this deal. Man, you, you got this deal. And, and, and you know there's this deal. But in your heart, you're thinking... You know something's wrong or, or you stumble on a bargain and you want to buy it and you've been waiting to get this, but in your heart, you know. You just know. You can't put your finger on it, but you know it's wrong. That's God's discipline protecting you and preventing you and me from getting into a situation uh, that we don't need to get in. And so, but there's a, one other thought about discipline, and not just prevention and protection and, and not just uh, for punishment, but, but also discipline is, is for, for, for preparation or, or, or maybe we, we might use the word equipping or, or educating. You know, sometimes we, we discipline our children in terms of we help train them because we want to prepare them for what's to come. That's why we make them do their homework. That's why we limit their amount of TV or, or, or devices or, or whatever. Why? Because we're preparing them. I mean, sometimes God says no to you and me, uh, or God says, yes, I want you to go through this struggle. And we're like, God, why do I have to go? God, I don't want it. God, please. And God goes, no, no, my grace is sufficient. You go through this. Now, why would God do that? Because he wants to train you. He wants to equip you. Remember, he's interested not just in our comfort, but he is interested in our character. Now, if you're a runner, maybe you're a marathoner, you know that, um, you know that he'll work. Um, let me tell you what he'll work is. He'll work is when you go find you a hill, you get warmed up and you run up that hill and then you come back down and you run back up that hill and you come back down and you run up that hill and, and you do it. And in fact, if you live in Skyline, uh, I'm not talking about the hill that goes up the Skyline, but in the backside of Skyline, there's a hill at six tenths of a mile long. And it's about 85 or 90% uphill. And the first time is bad, but it gets worse from there. I just, just trust me. Now, now, why would anybody do that to themselves? Because you want to train. Because you're equipping. You're preparing for the race. That's why you do crazy stuff like that. Well, sometimes God allows things into our life. Man, they're not fun. They're not easy. They're hard. I mean, that's why we, sometimes we go through illness and we, we just can't seem to understand, well, now why would the, why don't the, why can't the doctor figure this thing out or, or why can't there be a solution to this? Could it be that God's preparing and training you? He's building your character. 
to look to him and to trust him. And so discipline is, is, is for preparation. Discipline is, is for protection and prevention. Sometimes discipline is, is for punishment to correct. And so it, with that as a backdrop, let's look for just a moment at God's discipline because what the writer says is that, that God brings discipline into your life and when he does, God expects you to endure it. A lot of times it's not because of something we did. God's discipline isn't always because we messed up. Sometimes God's discipline is He's allowing stuff in our life because He's shaping us and He's molding us. And so let's look at a couple of things. First of all, I want you to see in our text uh, what I'll call the pitfalls to God's discipline. If you look at verse 4 and, and verse 5, we're going to move quickly through verse 4. But, but the writer says... Now, he's just told him to look at Jesus. He says, now, in your struggle against sin, and I believe their sin was unbelief, not, not trusting God, and often that's probably ours. But he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, what he's saying is, you had not died yet. Now, some of them were in prison. We read about that in chapter 10. Some of them, they had come and confiscated their property. They're taking their stuff away. I mean, that's pretty tough. They show up at your house and say, okay, this all yours is mine. You, they, you, you believe in Christ, you stand up, you, you share verses at school or whatever, and they put you in prison. That's pretty tough. But the writer's saying, listen, you, you've not shed your blood yet. So you need, you need to tough it out. And then he says, have you forgotten? Look at verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Two, two, two pitfalls to discipline. It, it, it's easy to get in a situation. It's easy to get in a discipline situation and, and, and regard lightly the discipline to not take it serious. Now, many parents have had that experience with their children. They whip their child, probably a son, and they kind of go, that didn't hurt. You know, you may have had that. Happen. I've got girls. I've never, I've never had to deal with that. Uh, but, but some of you have because we take that. You know, because they they take the discipline lightly. They they don't re, they don't hold it in high regard. There, there's it doesn't it doesn't strike any kind of fear. When I was in about tenth grade, maybe eleventh grade, I I had Miss Galanis for English, and I think it was writing composition. And we were in English class, and, and I don't remember if, I think we were just playing around, but I, I, just, I, I there was a guy in my class named Bobby, and, and, and I don't remember what happened. I just know I kind of just punched him right here in the arm. You know how guys do, they just kind of punch one, you know. And so I just, I, so I just kind of hit him in the arm like that, and Miss Galana saw it. And back in those days, you didn't send them to the office, you just paddled them. And she had a paddle about this long. But what was interesting is, is she would, she would make you assume the position, you know, like, but she, the paddle was long and she would go way back here. But by the time she got back to the point of attack, she had lost her mojo. And so, so it didn't, it just didn't strike a lot of fear into you. It just wasn't that bad. Now, Mr. Philpot, that's another story. We won't, we won't talk about that. But, but here's the thing. We regarded lightly that punishment. And, and the scripture says, be careful when God deals with you. 
Be careful when God brings things into your life. Be careful when God seeks to correct you. When you want to do something or you want to go somewhere or you want to be with somebody and in your heart you know, you just know. I mean, I can't explain it. You just kind of know. Don't need to go there. Don't need to be there. Shouldn't be with that person. You know. Be careful that you don't just say, oh, God will forgive me. Yes, he will. But he will discipline you for that. And so one of the pitfalls is that we take discipline lightly. Don't take it lightly. The second pitfall really is the opposite side of the spectrum. Notice the end of verse 5 where he says there, nor be weary when reproved by him. The New American Standard says, uh, nor faint. Don't, don't faint. Uh, the NIV says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because of discipline. And uh, one of the dangers on the other side of the spectrum is, is you struggle. Maybe you got something debilitating in your life and, and, and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you just, you, God just doesn't seem to answer or God doesn't seem to want to change things or your circumstances or your difficulties or maybe he doesn't want, your, your marriage doesn't get fixed or, or whatever it is you're praying for. And, and, the, and the danger is that, that we lose heart and we think, well, you know, God doesn't care. But on the contrary, God does care. God is shaping you. God is molding you. God is equipping you. God is preparing you. And he's developing your character in this life because your soul is going to exist forever in the next life. And so beware of the pitfalls. There's two of them. The first pitfall is to lightly regard as discipline. The second pitfall is that we'd lose heart or faint. And secondly, not only the pitfalls, but let's think about the privilege of God's discipline. Because I want you to notice there in, in verse 8, or excuse me, verse 7, with that in mind, or verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father doesn't discipline? Let me just say this. To, to be disciplined by God is a privilege because when you're disciplined by God, it means that you're God's son. Now, 50 years ago, this may not have been true, but today... Rarely does anyone discipline somebody else's kid. I'll spank mine, but I'm probably not going to spank yours unless you ask. And then I'll help you out, okay? Just, <laughs> just uh, saying. Now, it, it says here, it says here that what son is there that hasn't been disciplined, suggesting that every child has been disciplined. And, and, and that may be true back then, but that's really not true today. You've been at the restaurant. You've been sitting behind or beside someone who doesn't discipline. Or maybe you've been in the checkout line at the grocery store uh, around someone that hasn't been disciplined or maybe at the mall or, or, or maybe at the ball field. We, we played ball a few years ago, uh, you know, and, and there was this, there was this, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble. But there was this girl, I mean, if if she messed up, if she struck out, she would have a meltdown. I mean, she'd come in the dugout and she would throw stuff and she would slam her helmet and she would slam her bat down. And her mom would go, oh, she's just passionate about the game. And I'm thinking, no, she, 
She's just pitching a fit. Right? She just needs some correction. But because we've, we've been around that, we, we've seen that, and, and, and we know that, that, that we need, listen, children need correction. Turn over in your Bibles to Proverbs, just a couple of verses. Uh, you, you, you're familiar with these. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. I've, I've seen that play out. Well, many of us, we've had it play out in our own life. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother or his father, whatever the case may be. We've seen that because it's true. Proverbs twenty three fifteen or twenty three thirteen and 14 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you Listen to this. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from shell. Now, note it doesn't say if you put him in time out. You'll save his soul from hell. Just saying. Okay? There's just some things. There's there's some things that kids can only learn through the seat of their pants. I mean, there just are. And I know culture says, don't. You know, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. Listen, culture says a lot of stuff that's just not true. If, If you don't, if we don't discipline our kids, if we don't train our kids, we don't prepare them for God to work in their life. Mom and dad need to administer discipline and administer the rod of correction. And the scripture's right. If, if you beat them with the rod, now we're not talking about beat them, beat them. But if you, if, you know, if you if you provide just a little corrective corporal discipline, you prepare them for God to work in their life. And so, so it's a privilege. Listen, think about this. The reason I say, uh, the reason I say it's the privilege of God's discipline is because it, it's about His sonship. God, God disciplines those He loves. So when God disciplines you, here's what it tells you. Number one, it says God loves me. Listen, if God doesn't discipline you, if you're out here doing whatever you want, whatever you want, the way you want, and nothing's happening, and you don't have any conviction, you don't have any correction, you probably just are not a son. You're an illegitimate child, the Scripture says. Because those he loves, he what? He chastens. He disciplines. You love your kids, he'll discipline. God loves you and me, he will discipline us. But not only is the, does the privilege tell us he loves us, but it tells us he accepts us. I mean, when God disciplines us, he says, hey, I'm interested in your life. I'm interested in your eternity. In fact, I'm so interested in you, I want, I want to shape your soul. Because your soul's going to be with me forever. And so God's discipline should, should tell us God loves us, should tell us God uh, accepts us. Uh, and, and obviously I think it identifies us as a, uh, or, or authenticates us as a child of God. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, or actually John wrote in one twelve, John one twelve, but as many as receive him to those who believe in his name, he what? He gives them the right to become children of God. And if you're a child, listen, if you're a child, what is God going to do? He's going to discipline you. He's going to train you. He's going to shape you. And so, so that's the privilege. Uh, quickly, a third idea is the promise, God's promise in discipline. Look down at verse 9. Down in verse 9, it says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed 
best to them. As a parent, and if you have the role sometimes of correction as a grandparent, we do what we do because it seems best to us. Well, you shouldn't go to that movie, or you shouldn't hang out with that group, or you shouldn't spend your time doing this. And we do what seems best to us. Now, it may not be best, but it seems best. Sometimes our kid or kids are thinking, you're right, it's not the best because they think they know best. And, you know, we're not perfect. Parents do what seems best to them. But notice what the rest of that verse says. Look at the end of verse 10. It says, but he disciplines us for our good. He disciplines us for our good. And what I want you to know and what I need to always be remembered, regardless of what you go through, regardless of what you might have to do, the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God of the universe is interested in you. And he's going to do in you and for you and through you what is best for you. Now, we may not be able to trace his hand. We may not be able to figure out why, how, or where. But we can trust his heart because he's promised, he's promised that he's going to do what's good for us. That's the promise that God's does. Then real quickly at the end, what is the purpose? Look at the end of verse, the, the real end of verse 10. For, for it says, uh, but he disciplines us for our good that we may, look at this term, that we may share his holiness. Then listen to verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God wants you and God wants me. He wants us to share in his holiness. He wants us to take on his character. And in order for that to happen, We've got to endure some stuff. Some of it we know and understand. Some of it we don't know and we don't understand. But we've got to endure. We've got to, if we're going to share in his holiness, if we're going to be like him, and that's what he's called you and me to be, that's why he's going to tell us, he's going to tell us no on some things. There's some things that we want to do. There's some places we want to go. There's some people we want to see. God's going to say, no, I don't want you to do that. No, that, but everybody else is. And God said, you're not everybody else. You belong to me. You know, I mean, I can remember my dad saying, but, you know, he, early 70s, you know, people wore, they wore their hair different than I did. You know, my dad believed that you, nothing should be, everything had to go behind your ear. If it, if it could come in front of your ear, you need to get it cut. You know, about that long was too long, you know, there for a while. Well, but everybody else, you're, you're not everybody else, you're Phillips. And what God wants to say to you and me and what God sometimes says to you and me, you belong to me. And because you do, I expect things of you. And, and so God wants to shape us and, and God wants to uh, correct us. Now, um, when, when you go through hard times and when you go through struggles and when you go through hard times, understand, and, and, and I want to communicate this. Listen, sometimes it, I, I know it can be frustrating. And I know sometimes it's a lot worse than frustrating. Sometimes it can be heartbreaking. But, but you need to understand God is not displeased with you. God is equipping you. And God is preparing you. Is it fun in the moment? No. It's not fun at all. No discipline that says seems pleasant at the time. None at the time. 
but we got to be attentive because if we're not attentive, we may miss what God's trying to teach us. We may, we may miss seeing what, what God has put there. Um, got a wild hare last week and bought a brisket and I kind of laid it in the refrigerator and I was going to cook it every night and every night. So finally I thought, well, you know, I'm going to be up kind of late studying Saturday night. So I got it all set up and I put it, I put it out on the grill and, and I fell asleep in the easy chair last night and I woke up, I don't know, sometime after two o'clock and I thought, well, I'm going to just go out and check the temperature on my, on my cooker. And, uh, and I didn't turn the light on. I just slipped on my Crocs. I put on my hat. I got this little headlamp, but it's kind of dim. And so I, just, I stepped out the back door and, and I got about, I don't know what this bag's here for, but I got about as far as from here to that bag and there was something on my back porch and it started moving. And I, and I, and, and I looked down and it was a cotton picking porcupine. And, and so I just kind of, yeah! and, and, and it kind of, you know, and they're so slow, it kind of starts looking around. And so I, so I stepped back inside and I flipped on the light and, and I just stood there a minute because I, I, you know, I, I don't know how, I've never been around a porcupine. And, and it starts waddling off. You think a possum moves slow? I mean, it's a huge. And I'm, and I'm just thinking, could you get out of the way? I got to get to the, so, so finally he gets far enough out there and I go check my, my temperature on my barbecue and, and by then I'm thinking the girls would love to say, you know, it's 2.40 in the morning. I think the girls would, so I try to take out my phone, try to take a picture, but when, when you, when you turn the camera on, the light goes off. So I couldn't see him. I thought, well, I'm not going to get close to that guy. And so, so anyway, so, so this is all happening. And I thought there's got to be a sermon illustration in this thing. It's got to be. <laughs> and here's what I figured out. You know, I just, I just opened the door and waited out onto the porch. I wasn't paying attention. And, and if, if, if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, we'll just open the door and wait on through life. And God brings things across our porch, if you will. And He's trying to get our attention. But if we're not looking, and if we're not listening, and if we're not watching, we will miss the best God has for us. And we will miss what He's trying to do to teach, to correct, and to train. And now, is it going to be hard? Probably. Is it going to be difficult? I imagine. But if we'll pay the price now, man, later we'll reap the benefit. Uh, the second, I, I did a triathlon. The year before we came here, we moved here. Uh, we did an Olympic distance triathlon. I think you swim like 1,500 yards. You, you ride 26 miles and then you have to run six miles or whatever. And, and my friend told me, he said, now, Mike, when you're running, you're going to hate it. But he said about an hour after you're done, you're going to look back and go, this is awesome. And so I got through the bike, and I got about halfway down that run, and I got about three miles to go, and I was dying, and, you know, women were passing me and stuff. You know, it's just, you know, I mean, I'm struggling. And I'm just like, why in the world did I do this? And I got close to the finish line, and, you know, you get a little energy. And, and about an hour and a half later, we're about halfway home, and I'm sitting there thinking, he is exactly right. In the moment, it was excruciating. But when I look back, it was awesome. I don't know what God has you going through. 
right now. It may be brutal. It may be excruciating. But I'll just say, based on what the Word says, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. He loves you if you're His. And one day you're going to look back and you're going to say, that's awesome. Because He, He has your best interest at heart. Let's pray.